welcome back for another episode of Clean Tech Talk, where we at Clean Technica interview clean tech leaders from around the world. With topics ranging from electric cars to climate change communication, you can listen to our full podcast series by visiting our website at cleantechnica.com. Today's episode is sponsored by Home Efficiency. Hello, clean tech enthusiasts. My name is Scott Cooney, and my company has done energy and water efficiency retrofits for more than 13,000 homes and small businesses, saving our customers more than $3 million a year on their electric and water bills, while also reducing more than 11 million pounds of carbon pollution per year. Would you like to start offering this type of service in your community? Do it for a living, make money? You can. Check out homeefficiency.com for more info. We do flat fee consulting to help you get started with our model, training you, giving the inventory, tools, software, and support you'll need. No royalties, no hidden fees, no sneaky add-ons. You can just get started. Ready to work with your hands and make a difference every day? Do it. Go to homeefficiency.com. Check out. We're here for another episode of Clean Tech Talk. I'm your host, Zach Shahan, Director CEO of Clean Technica. And today we're joined by Logan Goldie Scott, Head of Clean Power at Bloomberg NEF, which has previously been known as uh, BNEF, Bloomberg New Energy Finance, and long ago, which I have to say, I think you were on the team long ago when it was just New Energy Finance, correct? Yes, I joined uh, back in 2009, around six months before the acquisition. Okay. And uh, we have a, I'm just curious to get your take on a number of things regarding the battery market, battery supply chain. But as a starter, maybe you could just give an overview of how you've seen the market change from back then to today and looking forward to from today. Of, 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 of course. And uh, first off, thank you. Thank you very much for, uh, for sort of uh, hosting. Um, I've been sort of an avid listener to the podcast and so it's great to sort of great to join. I, I think both within energy storage, the battery supply chain, but actually more broadly clean energy, um, what we're what we're seeing is that the the speed and the, the level of ambition around sort of decarbonization um, has has just sort of risen incredibly um, incredibly rapidly over the last few years, and and it's accelerating. Like the the, the changes that we've witnessed over the last eighteen months um, have been at a much quicker pace than what we saw sort of back in 20, 2010, 2011. So incredibly exciting space to be in. Um, very much sort of batteries underpin the decarbonization of both transport and power. Um, and so, yeah, fa- fascinating, fascinating topic and really looking forward to, to talking through the details. And I guess, uh, so back in 2012, let's say, what did you think 2020 could be where we are today? Or did you think this was a bit beyond uh, the reach? Or did you have a more bullish uh, kind of estimate of where we'd be? I, I think within, and sorry, within, I guess we should should you know specify with talking about cost and scale. So, you can. In, 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 indeed. So, and in, in the two really really tie together. I mean, we we began back in 2012. Um, that was the first year that we published our battery uh, battery price survey, um, and we we've, we've done so sort of annually ever since. And I, I remember when we when we looked at the 
when we looked at the projections in terms of uh, in terms of cost, um, many in the industry sort of uh, ridiculed ridiculed our estimates as being sort of uh, far 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 too aggressive, and um, basically sort of uh, um, there, there was a fair amount of pushback saying that batteries could never get that cheap. Um, and what we actually yep. found in the in the sort of subsequent years is that e- even we were too conservative, um, and so. Uh, battery battery prices have, uh, have have actually fallen, uh, yeah, fall, fallen more than, uh, than than what we expected. And our 2020 price survey uh, found the volume weighted average pack at the pack level or average price at the pack level um, was as low as 137 dollars a kilowatt hour. Um, and we we expect battery pack prices to fall again this year to around 125 dollars a kilowatt hour. So. That, that's really been pretty remarkable. And it touches on the second point that you mentioned around scale, um, because a, a, a huge element to that, when you think around sort of uh, technology cost and price projections is understanding that volume and how that affects, uh, affects those reductions over time. And, and that's where we, I, I think, underestimated things back in 2012. Um, so the uptake of um, passenger electric vehicles, but electric buses across the commercial fleet and stationary storage, um, that is all uh, all sort of re- re- really sort of a, um, come come together to um, enable much greater scale than I I think we initially envisaged with a narrower scope. Right. I remember. I don't remember what year this was. Maybe it was two thousand. Uh, it could have been anywhere from two thousand twelve to two thousand fifteen. I'm not sure. Um, but I was talking to the director of NREL at the time, National Renewable Energy Laboratory. In uh, in Abu Dhabi, which uh, I think is actually where we met, but um, later year. But uh, at that time, I was asking him about the potential for batteries. We we're talking about hydrogen fuel cells versus batteries, and and he quite honestly, I think, said, you know, he'd worked in the battery field for decades, and you know, it's really slow moving. Like you know, it's 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 nice to get excited about it, but it just takes a long time to to evolve and bring down costs and. Um, uh, so I think it caught a lot of experts off guard how quickly it happened as scale went up, as EV growth went up. How did you feel when you were forecasting at the time what seemed like aggressive growth um, and being criticized for it as kind of not knowing what you were talking about? Um, it's, it, it, it actually mirrors, it, th- this topic was not, not the only area um, that we were having sort of uh, similar conversations. Uh, sort of if you, if you think back to 2012, um, so clean energy was very much described as alternative energy, and um, and it was it was hard for many of the folks that we worked with, many many um, sort of uh, companies and individuals within within the industry to to comprehend um, the 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 potential speed and ambition of the transition ahead. Um, so we 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 were sort of uh, fairly fairly confident. Um, and uh, yeah, fairly confident of sort of uh, of our outlook there, um, and uh, it's, it's, it's been great to see see the industry sort of develop, and and to see the the momentum really, um, the, the momentum really grow over the last mm-hmm. few years, and and is is great, um, is is great as an individual sort of putting BNF to aside, it's great as an individual to to see what's happened over the last sort of eighteen months or so in terms of like meaningful policy changes. Around uh, decarbonisation, um, and, and and I think at the at the end of last year, um, 
we like we, we spent a lot of last year naturally sort of tracking the pandemic um sort of tracking how governments were responding to the pandemic and sort of at, at year end we tracked around 170 billion uh billion dollars of uh, sort of uh, green stimulus uh, funds and this is sort of truly remarkable uh re- re- remarkable amounts of sort of investment compared to so what was deemed possible a few years ago and uh and at my at my latest check i i also see that eight out of the top 12 global economies now have net zero targets. Um, so encompassing sort of transport, transport power, buildings and industry. And, and I think that that's something that, uh, that, that, that actually has, uh, has surprised, surprised even us, um, just uh, sort of the, the speed at which policymakers um, can, can sort of, uh, can change direction and can make these commitments. And now, and now the hard work starts. Um, now these governments and policymakers need need to start, well, and industry need to start sort of delivering on these plans. But it's it's exciting. Yeah, I mean, uh, we yeah we weren't planning to go into solar, but it is it's it's such a good parallel. Um, you know, there were a lot of ambitious solar targets over the years that were sort of ridicule, ridiculed as you know crazy. It couldn't happen. Uh, with regard to price, price bids, as well as uh, country targets, like India's had some very big solar targets that I think were seen as completely unrealistic by many. Um, and they were, you know, achieved, surpassed, and quickly forgotten about. So it's like the industry has just been very quick to to uh, to silence detractors or, or make them change their story. But um, I guess you probably have a similar problem on the flip side as well, because, uh, uh, you know, you, you guys are tend have tended to be more aggressive in your forecasts, but as you said, you've also fallen short. I think almost anyone, um, has almost everyone has fallen short. There've been a you know, handful of very bullish forecasters that, uh, that ha- have a lot of bragging rights now, but, um, more or less, you know, things have gone faster than, than assumed do you face a challenge right now with, with um, trying to navigate that kind of, you have, you have people who think that you're too conservative. You have people who think you're too aggressive. Uh, you of course do your best job to be as, you know, be as accurate as possible. How, how do you feel with, you know, navigating that, that challenge? So, so I'm, I'm, I've never been too concerned around um, the sort of being being attacked from both sides in, in terms of those who feel we're too conservative or, or aggressive. Um, that that in many ways tells tells us that we're we're on the right track. Um, I, I, I think I think the the biggest the biggest challenge, but but actually is an analytical opportunity, is how to how to deal with net zero, um, because I, I think if you if you take government pledges at face value um, if you believe that even if the legislation is currently lacking um, that legislation will materialize um, and governments will deliver on that then your your whole framework and your approach uh, to any forecast to any outlook um, flips on its head um, and you, you start actually working back from net zero rather than um, rather than working forwards from today um, and I, I think that's that's a really important important distinction. It's it's definitely going to be a focus of of mine of sort of Bloomberg NEF uh, through throughout this year, um, and it it does it, it brings back to an understanding or to 
to make that leap, you also need to really understand sort of um, what our outlooks have been over, over over the past few years. They've they've rarely, and we've we've tried to be really clear about this. They've they, they've typically not been sort of predictions of what would would happen, but very specific scenarios. And so, if we think of our new energy outlook, um, the scenario was uh, was largely based on economics and lo- lower system cost, and our electric vehicle uptake has also been based on sort of a total cost of ownership and then upfront cost. Um, the we did not sort of forecast or we did not build in in our central scenarios sort of massive policy intervention. And that was deliberate. And we talked about that as sensitivity. We talked about that as a sort of potential upside. Um, but it was a very deliberate piece uh, because it was important to showcase the economics um, and the ever improving economics of electric vehicles, of clean power technologies uh, to, to, to our clients and to the wider, wider public. And so I think what the, the pressure now is to move from that sort of economics-based uh, based outlook to actually sort of working back from a from a net zero net zero perspective, assuming that is the the target in many of these major global economies. Yeah, it's interesting. I I, I tend to think of it almost, you know, I just I think how much the industry has enabled the targets and enabled stronger policies, and how much, you know, policymakers we want them to be leaders, but they're often followers because you know they they sort of implement what's already popular and and um, easy sort of uh, so. It's interesting to look at that from the other perspective. Um, I'll just quickly note before we jump to- topics, that was in 2013 that I talked to Dan Arvizu, head of NREL about that. And, um, but I had similar, you know, I talked, I did a piece for the Economist Group in 2015, and I talked to Jenny Chase, head of Bloomberg, uh, B- Bloomberg NEF's um, solar division at the time is she head of solar right now or uh yes jenny uh yeah jen, jenny continues to sort of lead, lead lead the way as head of our solar team and we she's i mean i think she's pretty widely regarded as sort of uh, a top if not the top person to talk to for this topic um so i was doing a piece on whether or not the solar industry needed kind of breakthrough technologies and or or you know sort of incremental progress would bring down the costs enough to make you know to to do what was necessary and at the time you know she she forecast she showed me you know the forecast to 2030 and 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 earlier how incremental improvements would bring down the cost um and you know the 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 narrative that you had to have some kind of breakthrough was uh, not really true and it ended up being that a few years later even her forecast which was quite aggressive was was shown to be too conservative because just the industry improved and cut costs so quickly. So taking that and leaping to batteries, because um, this is the, supposed to be just the core topic today, but it's a good background. You know, there's been a concern for years, and, and it, there is today, that the the battery minerals, the supply chain is not being invested in enough to meet the the demand that we're going to have for for electric vehicles. So when People like me get very bullish on 2025, 2030 EV market share. The concern that comes up in my head and many people's head is there won't be enough battery minerals to produce the batteries at a low cost uh, to, to meet that, um, that market demand. So can you just speak a little bit about how you see the battery, the full battery supply chain looking right now and if you think it's matching up with your for with forecasts of what where the market would go should go or if it's 
too limited. There's not enough investment in in certain sectors. Of 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 course, and I I think it's it's helpful to 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 start here in terms of sort of electric vehicle demand um, because that will be the the largest single source of battery demand over well in the in the near term. And in in our view, 2021 should be a sort of breakout year for global electric vehicle sales. We're anticipating 4.4 million passenger electric vehicles uh, to be sold globally this year. Um, led by Europe, so 1.9 million in Europe, 1.7 million in China, and then just over half a million in in North America. And and so to put that in context, that's up from 2.8 million electric vehicles sold last year. And if you go back to the time frame you you, you were sort of uh, or you started of, like only half a million globally uh, back in back in 2015. Um, and in, on the demand side, the the momentum is clearly. Uh, or the the trajectory is clearly in favour of sort of ever tightening CO two targets in uh, in major automotive markets um, and more and more more policy support there. And and so thinking thinking about uh, sort of what that means for for supply side. So demand is increasing rapidly. It's likely to accelerate further. And and actually, on on the innovation front, the industry. Uh, continues to innovate with battery chemistries and designs. And, and that combination poses a huge challenge for, for suppliers, uh, really across the board. Um, and it requires a huge amount of alignment sort of uh, through, throughout that value chain. Um, and, and I think that's, that is the challenge. That's what we're grappling, or that's what the industry is grappling with at the moment. Um, like, can the, can the supply side um, continue to... Um, continue to develop um, in in line with actually ever growing and ever changing uh, changing demand, um, and a lot of the the concern has been um, really throughout the last couple of years, where we observed relatively low prices for various lithium and cobalt products um, that discouraged investment, and also prompted operators to furlough plants or delay expansion plans. Um, and so that, that's basically the story up until today, um, where you've got this expectation that demand will increase rapidly, um, but you haven't seen that matched in recent years by, um, by sort of uh, investment really throughout the supply side. Um, but, but actually, we, we, we believe, or, or not even believe, like we can clearly see um, how, how this sort of uh, rebalances and how this rectifies itself. Um, metal prices are set to rise this year. So uh, lithium, class one nickel, cobalt, um, we, we expect them to be relatively tight in 2021. Um, that will sort of uh, encourage price rises. Um, and as the price rises, um, we believe that new supply can come online relatively quickly. And so with, with lithium, for instance, there are, there are thousands of tons of capacity that companies are currently sitting on. Um, where the feasibility work has either been done or the project was um, project was sort of previously operational, and so as prices start to rise, um, we expect this to come online. And it's it's really a similar story for for cobalt, for nickel, etc. Where for for cobalt, like Glencore, uh, Glencore, I believe last year uh, stopped operations at a sort of Matunda mine in the DRC, but higher prices bring that capacity back online. And so 
we we expect that in the near term uh, you do have a relatively tight market um, but we don't see this as a as a market failure we we actually think the market is behaving sort of exactly as you exactly as you would expect it's um sort of low low prices resulted in a slowdown of investment um sort of stronger sort of fundamentals uh, demand fundamentals in particular is feeding into price uh, rises and uh, and there should be and, and we should see the supply side respond well and so you know i've talked with some uh, especially lithium experts who have been concerned about the time to set up mines um for when demand spikes uh it takes five to seven years to, to get you know get really set up you're saying there's a lot of capacities sitting there uh is there a period of time uh that you're concerned about in the coming decade where you think there might be a crunch on supply which of course would drive up battery prices as well and drive up ev prices or do you think do you see it you know sort of as we've seen in the past decade with solar and with batteries just you know they, they go together, you know, foot after foot going up a staircase or, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you have a kind of concern period? <laughs> so, so I think it's, and, 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 and actually, I mean, we, we, we clearly speak to, to many of the same folks within the lithium and nickel, uh, nickel industries. And, uh, and I, I've listened to some of your sort of other, uh, other talks, such as with sort of Roger Atkins, um, from, uh, from a few weeks ago. Um, I, I think we're saying relatively relatively sim- similar things, but with a slightly different emphasis. It's uh, where there, it, it is clear that, um, that there needs to be more investment um, in, in sort of minings and in, in processing of, uh, of key battery materials uh, to keep up with, uh, to keep up with demand. Um, the, but, but we do think that there is a, um, sort of sufficient buffer in the near term um, that, that, that essentially means that raw materials do not act as a firm sort of constraint or break on electric vehicle adoption. Um, so, so I guess that's the that's a key message from uh, from, from from our side. And, and what we're is, seeing. Sorry, go go for it. Uh, that's, that's, I was just going to ask, what's your twenty twenty five and twenty thirty target for anyone listening? Uh, in terms of EV EV market share, sorry. Let, let, uh, I, I'd have to. We'll come back to uh, that. Okay, yeah, no problem. I, I, I'd have to check that. Yeah. Um, but 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 the the point I was going to uh, going to make is we're we're also seeing sort of uh, changes to the to the structure and sort of company strategies um, with within the market um, that should sort of facilitate more capacity coming online. So we're observing more vertical integration from sort of automakers and battery manufacturers, um, which is sort of leading to more sort of direct investment in in, in materials uh, in materials and mining. Um, and so it, it, it is clear there are we there, there there's a lot of change that needs to happen um, in 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 this space. But we 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 think that actually sort of uh, many in the industry are, are well equipped to to adjust on that front. And, uh, and, and and so it remains a broadly broadly positive outlook. And, yeah, and then it's great. The, it's great to get so a positive outlook. Yeah, go ahead. Just just one one final thing is like we 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 also have an element of demand elasticity, um, whereby the 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 mix of sort of electric vehicle battery chemistries, um, it's it's probably as 
as varied and as sort of diverse uh, a, a sort of a, a group of chemistries that, that I've certainly ever sort of uh, observed uh, since following the space. And so if you do see sort of uh, real, uh, real availability issues uh, for, for certain key, uh, key metals, and we believe that automakers uh, have at least some ability uh, to adapt their plans accordingly. Cool. Um, that's a good positive uh, outlook, especially from, you know, that you've been um, uh, tracking it so closely for so long and, and able to, to get a big picture view. Uh, I guess one more question, uh, last couple minutes here. Um, do you, you know, there's a lot of concern that China sort of monopolizes uh parts of the supply chain for well much of the lithium and cobalt market the, the, a lot of the processing and and whatnot um uh do you see a lot of movement in kind of localizing the, these industries a little more in europe north america elsewhere and and not ending up with a situation where the, you know china sort of has a kind of you know opec level control of of these markets it uh, in, 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 indeed, uh, we, we, we completely see that and we expect, uh, expect that to continue. Um, supply chain security uh, will, will drive investment in metals refining outside of China. Um, and, uh, and we expect uh, to, to see significant investment in refining and precursor production in both North America uh, and Southeast Asia this year. And then that's on top of the, the investment you've seen in cell manufacturing capacity in Europe, in particular, um, but uh, but also in in North America and and elsewhere, and in, and I think if we you you tend to have sort of parallel efforts between sort of policymakers here. Um, there there are those who continue to want to encourage free trade, um, but have a have an emphasis or an angle on sort of green products and how to reduce tariffs for green products in particular. And there's a, a growing cohort that wants to encourage sort of more, more local development uh, for security reasons, um, but also due to the economic value here. Uh, if, you, if you think about um, actually something we discussed at the very beginning of this call of bat- batteries underpinning the decarbonization of both power and transport, um, that if, if you believe that statement to be true, then there's clear, clearly a lot of economic value um, in, uh, in in having ha- having some of that capacity sort of uh, in 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 country. Uh, so the incoming Biden administration um, sort of he he stood on a sort of clear platform of making America, um, and you see this at the state level in the U.S. Um, I've done some work with the California Energy Commission, which is sort of looking to facilitate development of lithium resources in Southern California. Um, in areas where there's sort of relatively high unemployment. Um, and so we, this is something that we've observed for a couple of years now, um, but, but, but is, uh, is, is very likely to gain, um, to, to gain in importance as the industry itself um, uh, sort of grows, grows in importance. Um, and then the, the, the final country I'd mention is, um, is, is one that, You'll you'll see in the news quite a lot at the moment, but is Indonesia like so? So far, Indonesia has attracted around twenty four billion dollars in investment in battery materials value chain, um, and, and just earlier this month, uh, LG Energy Solutions signed a sort of non binding MOU uh, looking at nine point eight billion dollars of investment in Indonesia, uh, looking at 
metals refinery, cathodes, cell production, battery recycling. Um, and so you, you can already see this diversification of manufacturing capacity and the broader sort of value chain outside of China. Uh, I said that was the last one. I'm just curious, as a final, final word, um, this is fascinating to get, you, you know, different people's perspective on these matters. Do you have a, is there any specific kind of concern point, choke point for slowing down EV growth um, uh, that you see in this battery space? Is there something that concerns you more than than other possibilities? I think... Safety remains um, safety remains sort of front of mind, um, not not because of any sort of challenges specific to batteries or electric vehicles, um, but just because it's uh, it's incredible. It's just it it's front of mind for anyone in the automotive industry. So I think that is that's that that that's clearly an area that um, that the, the folks need to sort of keep an eye on. And, and I think the the other piece, and we are already seeing the industry sort of um, positively sort of uh, move on this front, um, but really understanding the making moves to ensure that uh, that uh, that the the products that bring are brought to market um, are both sustainable and ethical, um, and so. Regulators around the world, um, we're, we're, we're seeing examples where they're, they're, they're only now beginning to look at life cycle emissions of vehicles. Um, and, uh, but we, we think that will, that will grow in importance. Um, and as it, as it does, that will sort of uh, move from uh, sort of emissions intensity of manufacturing to also raw materials extraction and processing and, um, in, well, and transportation. Um, and, and clearly, cl- clearly sort of the, the, the ethical approach um, to, to, to this is becoming more important for consumers and for automakers. So I think sa- safety remains ever important um, and now, now is no exception. And uh, sort of the, the sustainability of, uh, of, the, of this industry uh, will be important for, uh, for, for stakeholders to, to, to continue to maintain. Thank you so much, Logan. I, I recall sitting next to you, uh... Uh, in Abu Dhabi and learning a great deal about batteries, they're, they're, what's in them and uh, thinking, you know, we needed to stay in touch so I could get a lot more information from you. And I did a very poor job of that. Uh, so hopefully this year is different. I feel like this is the year of the battery. Uh, so uh, there's a lot of topics that came up today. We'll reach out about follow-up um, podcasts to try to dig deeper into specific areas. But uh, thank you so much for what you've done and being a leader in this industry and remaining in the industry uh, to bring that historical perspective and knowledge. So thank you. Well, yeah, and thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for hosting and, uh, and likewise for, for, for your work in the space. And I, w- I would recommend uh, also speaking to my colleagues, uh, James Frith and Sophie Liu, who in terms of sort of battery technology and metals and mining, um, I, I, I can't think of uh, any, anyone better to speak to. So thank you. Perfect. So those would be great follow-ups to dig into some of those topics. Yeah, they're great. That's great. Uh, thank you. And for listeners, uh, thank you. And check in next time to get your electric fix. Thank you for listening to Clean Tech Talk. Join us next time to get your electric fix.
If you would like to sponsor our podcast, send us an email at accounts at cleantechnica.com. That's A-C-C-O-U-N-T-S at cleantechnica.com. Thanks. Thank you.